funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got a special guest on here. We got James Ham, the King's insider for NBC California. How's it going, James? Thanks for joining me, man. I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing good. I uh, just was at California Classic yesterday. Had a good time. Uh, definitely enjoyed myself some Davion Mitchell. And uh, I, I want to start there a little bit with you and, and the picking of Davion Mitchell. Um, you know, I, I think that if the front office truly believed how long have people been saying like take the best player available right no matter the fit after the whole luca situation um and i think if the front office truly believed you know also accounting ceiling and everything that mitchell was the best player available i i respect their being willing to bet on that and take mitchell at nine um but do you think it was really considered that mitchell is one of the more nba ready guys and that is a reason that they also favored Mitchell because of the immediate um, contributions that he could bring and thinking less of a ceiling. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I talked to, uh, we talked to Monty McNair, like when they introduced the prospects to us. Right. And his point of view was like, look, some of these guys could have higher ceilings, but they also could have lower floors. So we know who Davion is right now. We know who he is. We know he, who he's going to be. And just because he's 22 going on 23, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have, that we've seen his ceiling. We don't know what his ceiling is as an NBA player. And I think one of the bigger things with Mitchell, like I, when I looked at this draft, um, there's only two players in this draft that I call culture changers, right? You look at them and you're like, I mean, there's a possibility that Cade Cunningham is just, so incredibly good that becomes like this uh, LeBron James type player that he, he raises his teammates up and, but like personality wise, I think there's only two guys and it's Scotty Barnes and it's, it's Davion Mitchell. And, and if I go back to last season um, and you look at that draft as well, there wasn't a lot of these guys in that year in last year's draft either. And, Typically, there's not a lot of these guys, right? So, like Isaac Okoro is a guy that I put out, I point to and say, this guy has potential that in year three, it will be as much as anyone else's team, as much as any other player on his team, it will be his team. He will have an imprint on the way that they play, on the personality of the team, on their willingness to. Uh, punch somebody when somebody rips one of their players off the rim and breaks his wrist. 
Um, so that's what I look at Mitchell and say, look, like ceiling is one thing and, and you want to take the player with the best talent. But when you have a player who you know can impact the bottom line, which in the NBA, counter to what's happened the last 15 years in Sacramento, the bottom line in the NBA is wins and losses, right? And if you have a player you think can impact winning, I think that there's a certain amount of value that goes into it that goes beyond vertical, goes beyond, you know, percentages of from the corner or, or anything else. It, like it stands out and it's, it is measurable in a way that, you know, like Draymond Green, Steph Curry is a superstar. Draymond Green, without Draymond Green, I don't think the Golden State Warriors would have had, you know, three championships. I, I think they could have had one. I think they could have had two. You know, you put in uh, Kevin Durant at one point. But again, my point is that I don't think that he, he changed the culture of that team for the better. And that's why I think the Kings drafted Davion. I think that they had him circled the entire time. I think that they played cat and mouse even leading up in the days leading to the draft. Um, you know, I got, I reported it at one point late in the process that they had flown down and visited Josh Giddy and uh, in, in Las Vegas and that they had met with him and had conversations with him. I believe that was to make sure that Josh Giddy went in the top eight picks uh, or worst case scenario that if he was on the board at number nine and Mitchell was on the board at number nine, that they could at least flip nine and 10 and get the guy they really wanted and pick up another asset from, from uh, what was it? Memphis. Uh, Memphis. Yeah. Memphis switched into that spot. So, so look, I think there's a lot of gamesmanship, but there's a lot of stuff going on at the end of the day. Like, again, we're always reading tea leaves with, with Monty McNair. And I'll just tell you that last year, we really didn't hear anything about Halliburton in Sacramento. They didn't bring him in for an, and really have conversations with him until like days, like the days leading up to the draft, they kept it all under wraps. This is the exact same thing. I think the Wagner stuff was smokescreen. Um, I think they loved that a bunch of people fell in love with Moses Moody and they just sat there and said, we know who our guy is and we're going to, we're hopefully going to land him that, Teams above us will do what they're going to do, and he'll make it to us. And again, you just drafted a player that you did not bring in for a workout. Uh, and there were only two guys in this draft that they did not bring in for a workout, and that was Wagner and uh, and Davion. And then last year, same thing. I don't think they ever brought Halliburton in for an interview um, until you know they had phone call conversations and stuff with him right before the draft, but. Like they're good at hiding their intentions, which is to me, it, it's a good thing. It's frustrating as a journalist, but it's a good thing. Yeah. Why do you think that is that they didn't interview him? Because they did all of their homework. They did interview him at the combine. Yeah. Right. So they sat down with him and they had a long conversation with him. Um, but look, this is <laughs> the NBA. Like it might not be your agent that says something. It might not be. Your, uh, you, you know, it might not be a player who says it might not be someone within an organization, but I always go back to the, the movie city slickers and, you know, the one guy says, Hey, 
you know, alien spaceship flies in, lands on the ground, and the most beautiful woman in the universe gets out, only wants to have sex with you, and then get back in the spaceship and leave, and no one will ever know about <laughs> it. And Billy Crystal says, yeah, that same thing happened to my cousin, and they found out about it at the beauty parlor, like, the, the next day. Like, and, and so my point is, like, someone always finds out. And so, you know, Davion, not even intentionally, he could tell one of his boys and one of his boys could go to somebody and somebody and somebody and somebody. And next thing you know, he's going there. We never heard him attached to the Kings even once. And to me, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. I mean, you passed on Moses Moody to take him, whether you'll regret that or not down the road, who knows, but this was their guy, I believe. And, you know, they don't need to have another interview. They did their homework. They knew who they were getting. And, and that's kind of, you know, the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned culture. I, I think I've heard culture thrown around a lot. I, I see why Mitchell gets that attachment, a culture setter like the guys you possibly mentioned there. Um, and I think the other aspect that you hear drilled nonstop is his work ethic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, we're, we're probably going to hear about so many random time workouts that he has throughout his career and things like this. And what I want to ask you is how rare is that in a, in a player? Um, like, you know, because everybody, of course, is going to be talking up your the guy you just picked. Um, but how rare the level of work ethic that it seems to be reported for Mitchell, how rare is that in a prospect? You know, like, I don't know, like rarely do you get, oh, this guy's a, it has a horrible work ethic, right? Right. You don't usually hear, well, I mean, you do hear that on occasion, especially with pro, uh, with prospects, but what you don't hear that is coming out of teams while players are still there. So like there, there's something in the league called an exit strategy, right? So when you have a player who you think you're going to lose during free agency or they want $15 million a year and you're only going to pay uh, 10. And so you're trying to make sure that your fans know that like you can't afford to go after that player or like you're going to trade a player who's a big time fan favorite. We start hearing these little things like, well, you know, his work ethic has been questioned. Um, you know, and that's when you start to know, when you start hearing that, especially from the local guys that things have gone South and someone will not be back. I mean, like, let's be honest here. Like there's no way to fix the Ben Simmons situation in Philly. Like you had Joel Embiid go out and like literally shove that guy under a taxi cab that was being followed by a bus and then a steamroller. And then on top of that, you had Doc Rivers who magically couldn't answer whether they could fix him for next season. And then you had Danny Green, who is their veteran glue guy. I mean, all we hear about now, because he just got a two-year, $20 million contract to how he's a glue guy. is a really, really, really expensive glue guy um, because, you know, it's like play on the court does not equal the value that you're getting. So he must be a glue guy. Uh, but when he comes out and he trashes your guy too, like, look, that's in typical times, that's an exit strategy. That's to say, look, we have to move on from somebody and here's his warts and we're moving on. Um, so like, that's what we're hearing with him. So you, you can't pull it back. Now we're not hearing that about, you know, some of the players in Sacramento who may or may not be here by the end of the week. And to be honest with you, like Buddy Heald is one of the most incredible workers you're ever going to find. Like he has an unlimited supply of energy 
and you see him doing his workouts. He loves to post pictures of himself without a shirt on, on Instagram. Um, but like, you know what, man, if you're working that hard and you're that ripped and you're a two guard, that's, you know, six, four, two and you're yoked more power to you. Like show everybody you flipping ropes in the air. That's cool. Uh, you know, so again, like when it comes to Mitchell, I think he's going to be a great worker, but I also know that De'Aaron Fox is a great worker. And I think Tyrese Halliburton is a really strong worker. And even Marvin Bagley during his time in his career, I've heard, man, he does work really hard. Um, so I don't think that there are a lot of players in the NBA who are just bad workers. Um, like to get, like to answer it in a roundabout way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely does. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to me. Um, because I would assume that most guys that make it at a high level in the NBA are really hard workers. Um, so yeah. yeah. And there isn't like a chart somewhere that says, here's our 15 guys and who works hard and who doesn't like you, you don't see that. Like, you know, I can tell you that Chemezi Metu and Damian Jones are both hard workers. They're fighting tooth and nail to get into the league. You can't look at Robert Woodard and think that he's not a hard worker. I mean, I, I think that that guy just walks around with like chopping down trees with like an ax on his shoulder. <laughs> like, I, I mean, you look at him, you're like, holy, holy cow. I mean, if he's not an NBA player, he's doing bodybuilding competitions. Uh, so like uh, they do have a bunch of hard workers and that is part of, I think it, it's part of what you're looking at when you're bringing in guys, but I'll also say this, there, there are two, there are workout warriors who are in the gym all the time. Uh, who are in the weight room all the time. And then you have your, your hoopers and like, you need a mixture of Hooper. And like, that's something that if I'm looking at a player, is he like 50% Hooper and 50% workout guy? Or is he like, what you don't want is the 90% Hooper and 10% workout guy, because then like uh, Marcus Thornton, like, he just, all he did was go in the gym and, and shoot hoops. All he did was go play basketball. You know, he was fully into it. Right. He, he loved playing the game, but he got need in the thigh, had a, a thigh bruise and missed like almost a month and a half of the season or something. And that's just because he's not a dude who gets in the gym and hits, hits the weights. You know, you got a guy like Chuck Hayes who, tells everybody during the off season, well, I don't really play basketball in the off season. I play tennis and everyone just like, man, and you gave this guy, you know, $6 million a year. Um, and, and you can see it on the court. So, you know, I, I think that there's a balance that you have to find, but at the same time, I, I think Davion is, is a guy who, who thinks basketball and does the work, which is what you want. Yeah, totally. Working hard and working smart. And uh, you mentioned Buddy and Bagley a little bit there. You know, the two names that are most commonly thrown in um, in these trade scenarios. Um, you know, do you think that even if you're not able to land a package for or package these guys for Simmons, Siakam, a big name like that, do you think it's at the point where you have to move on from one of these guys? Because, I mean, specifically like Buddy stands out to me with Mitchell coming into the roster. Um, I guess they did move on from from uh, from right but they do have um, Davis still there as well. Does it, does it seem to you that even if you're not able to package it in one of these uh, bigger trades that one of these guys or maybe both need to be moved on from? You know, like, yes. I, I mean, like I've said it repeatedly, I do not believe that either of them will be on the roster at the beginning of the season, but that's not 
I, I don't believe that with every ounce of my being, like there is a possibility. And the reason why there's a possibility is because even if you go into the season, but he still has two years left on his deal after this season. Right. And so like, you can't just give away an asset, especially at this point when the grand design is very specific, right? Like, Monty McNair knows he needs a star. And when you go out and you sign Alex Len and Mo Harkless and Terrence Davis, and even we can even put Rashawn Holmes in this bucket, you're not getting a star. What you're getting is a specific piece. If it's a specific puzzle and that puzzle is the team that you're building around De'Aaron Fox. And of course, Tyrese Halliburton. So, so if you're going to walk into this season, just say, we have to give them up. That's not the point. The point is that those two might be your easiest way to go out and get a star. And I guess you can now throw uh, like Tristan Thompson into that mix too, just because he has an expiring nine, $9.7 million contract. But um, so he's kind of interchangeable with Bagley in, in a contract, in a, in a deal, right? You can switch one out for the other. If you're adding them to Buddy Heald, now you're at 30 something million and that fits almost every player in the, the league with the 125% rule. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, I mean, and, and I can even say this too, there's a way that Marvin Bagley is your starting power forward because you can still look at this team and say, okay, you know, maybe you brought in Tristan Thompson because Marvin Bagley plays 52% of his games in his career and you might need a starting level power forward they can at least fill in for long stretches. Um, I can look at Buddy Heald and I can say, you know what? I There's also a way that, you know, they they could start Harrison Barnes at the four and they could start a three-guard set with Buddy Heald at the three and just say, all right, when we go to our bench, we'll go long. But for right now, we want a three-point shooting. So you don't have to do anything if you're the Kings. You can walk into the season, but you're going to be primed. So, so I guess... The short answer, which is never short with me, I apologize, is that why give up your two chip, your 30 something million dollar trade chips just because you can't make a deal today? Because we all know that Ben Simmons is eventually going to get traded. We all know that, you know, all of these, uh, Pascal Siakam could get traded either now, but he could get traded in January or February. So as long as you're still in the game, as, as long as you're still able to compete and you build a roster that can compete, we now have two pieces that are kind of on the outskirts that can just be packaged up and moved at any time. And so, yeah, I think there is a way for them to be on the roster when the season opens. Um, that's not the grand design. That's not what the the hope is from what I can tell, but it's certainly something that can happen. Yeah, that was my question, really. It's like, you know, do they feel like they have to do it or even if it's not great return? Um, but yeah, definitely makes sense. And I actually think that, um, you know, a Barnes and Bagley is is more appealing than Buddy Bagley. I, I think that's, um, you know, with the value that we saw Barnes reportedly had at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's weird to me that his name isn't the one thrown around in some of these conversations, because I feel like, uh, you know, if you're talking Philly, um, Philly would really like a Harrison Barnes. Um, you know, he gives them defensive versatility as well. Um do you think there's a reason that Barnes name isn't thrown in here? Like, obviously it seems like Sacramento really values him after the deadline. Um, but does he seem like somebody that could be in these conversations? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like anytime you're going to trade for a star, you have to give up something. So like, I, I don't blame Philly for asking ridiculous things. 
at a certain point you have to be realistic, which I think they're coming to that point now. And now you're seeing, you're seeing the flames from, uh, from Simmons side you're, and it's only going to heat up. They want him out of, out of Philly now. And he wants out of Philly now. And to be honest, Philly wants him out of Philly now, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, Daryl Morey wants extreme value. I mean, like, look, we heard the San Antonio Spurs offer, right? And I explained this on D'Lo and Casey last week. And that offer was so obscenely gross. Like, you can only trade out five years. I mean, as seven years worth of worth of draft picks in the NBA. And so, like, again, Monty McNair can't trade his 2035 first-round pick right now. That's not allowed. He can only go seven years out but they asked for five first round picks and three pick swaps. So they literally want to control. Uh, no, no. What was it? Four first rounds and three pick swaps. They want a control of every single year of the San Antonio Spurs draft and a young player for Ben Simmons for seven years. Like that's, that's called purgatory. That, that means that you have no way to build a roster that would have, that would have demolished the entire San Antonio Spurs franchise. They could not have recovered from that. So, so again, like at some point, Ben Simmons is going to be out of there. It, it seems like, and you're going to have to be more realistic about what he's worth. And, and to be honest with you, the Kings offer whatever it is that it could be at this point. If you're saying buddy and Bagley and two first round picks, like, I don't think anyone out there, like the Kings draft picks are notoriously spectacular, right? Like you want, if you can get your hands on a Sacramento Kings draft pick, it's like you're you're Charlie in the chocolate factory. You're running around the golden ticket, like you know, waving it around everywhere, trying to trade it for something better. You know, so that's that's a good offer. And I don't know that they're gonna get a better offer. Even if you throw in a pick swap, I'm in. Like if you're getting a 25-year-old guy who's locked up under contract for four years, I- I'm totally in. But when it comes to Barnes, I'm I, I know people value this, they don't value it. I got two guys, I got Harrison Barnes, I got Buddy Healed. Their contracts are similar. Uh, Harrison's two million bucks less, I think, and he's only got two years left on his deal. He is literally one of the greatest community guys in the NBA in NBA history. He's such a good representation for your franchise, and just like what we talked about with Davion, when it comes to that personality thing, that it factor um, that you know that you want to glob onto that impacts winning. Well, you need guys like Harrison Barnes as well. And I think, and, and let's be honest, Buddy Heald has done some, some things for, uh, for the Bahamas when it came to like the devastation there, but he's not impactful in a way on a daily basis. Like Harrison Barnes is, he's not a guy that's great with the media at all. At this point, he's not a guy who's in your community doing a bunch of things that you can point to. Um, and so while he does do stuff, that's good stuff. A lot of it, it's not like what Harrison's doing. So there's value to that. I mean, you're a professional franchise that has to put value on a lot of different things. And also, Hey, Harrison Barnes is a much better defender. He's a much better overall, I think a better overall player than Buddy Hill. So if I'm the Kings and I have an option to keep Harrison, then I keep Harrison. Right. But obviously it's a, a big enough name coming back. Then it, it, you got to consider throwing them in there. And it seems like yeah. um, the, the two names, right. But that wouldn't get considered are Fox and Halliburton. Is that, is that correct? And is that it? Like is Mitchell fall into that? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to guess that Mitchell falls into that category at this point. But, you know, like I, I've said this before, the the number nine all overall pick in a draft has like incredible value. It has much better value than Davion Mitchell, the ninth overall pick in the NBA draft. Right. So like, I know that seems like it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. The number nine pick has more value. Once you take that player, it's like buying a new car, drive it off a lot. You just lost 20% of your value. And so like, look, maybe there's a team that's just so in love with him is willing to move. But the Kings are in love with him too. And I think you're going to see a ton of three guard sets. I think you're going to see him play, you know, modest figures like 20 to 24 minutes a night in his rookie season. I don't know that he's going to be able to get up to where like Halliburton was last year playing 30 minutes a night, but you never know. Like, I, I think he's a guy that the Kings are going to try to build their culture around with Fox, with Halliburton, um, and then whoever else steps up. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. I want to ask you about uh, the Tristan Thompson deal real quick. Um, I, I know you've said it a couple of times, but one more time for me. Deal official. What's what's going on? What's the holdup? Are the Kings trying to get more? Yeah. Okay. So um, Keith Smith put out there, like, I think he confused fans, which I, I mean, he was just reporting something which was legitimate. Uh, the Celtics had, you know, a, uh, a trade player exception, right. For Ennis Cantor. And that was expiring on the last on, on the uh, the last day of the NBA season. Well, first of all, Boston are already has like they they had three other TPEs yeah. trade player exceptions, right? So they're like they're flipping through like a card catalog of of TPEs that they can use on a myriad of different things, all of which have different dates expiration dates. Once you didn't trade him by the end of the NBA fiscal year, which is this year, it's, it's normally uh, June 30th and July 1st is the beginning of the fiscal year. If you didn't trade him by then, then we get lost in the moratorium. So there's a six day moratorium. Um, so what is that? Well, no, the moratorium ends on the sixth, right? So I, we're going to see that trade happen on the sixth, but I'll throw this into, I'm slightly confused why this even became an issue. Um, they just can't announce the deal because they weren't going to do it until the new calendar year. And there's a couple of reasons why that might have been. Like, if you look at the fact that, um, that Tristan Thompson makes 9.7 million and DeLon Wright made 8.5, that leaves the Kings with 1.2 million extra going into free agency. And you have to understand that when you, when you sign contracts with people, it literally is like you don't do a line where you go like shortest guy to the tallest guy. You do a line where you have to fill specific things in your contracts first, in your salary cap first. So the first thing the Kings had to do was eat up all of their cap space, their standard cap space, which is what they did with both uh, Davion Mitchell signing, which has already happened. So now his 3.8 million is in the books, but also the next step is you have to pay Mo Harkless because Mo Harkless isn't getting an exception. Mo Harkless is eating your cap space. So once you get up to the actual cap, which is I think 12.4, uh, 112.4 million this year, then it triggers the moment where you have your, your mid-level exception, your biannual exception, um, your your early bird kicks in. 
So the Kings, what they did is they ate all their cap space up. And I think they needed the $1.2 million, to be honest with you, in order to sign uh, Harkless to eat up the rest of the cap. And so I know it's, it's a bit strange and exceptions can hide and do weird stuff. But the way that they, they paid Harkless was, from what I know, is you could give him a 20% raise off last year's salary. So he got a 20% raise off the biannual, which was 3.7. So you just add the 700K and it put him up to 4.5 million. They gave him a two-year, $9 million deal. So they had the ability to give him a raise, even though they had no bird rights for him. And then it ate up their cap space. And now it triggers all these. So again, it, it comes down to it this like simple with the, with the league. You have to do them in the right order. If you sign the Holmes deal first, it eats up all your cap space and you can't sign, you can't sign uh, Mo Harkless. You have to do them all in order in sequence in order for it to make sense. Right. So the Tristan Thompson deal from what I know is going to happen. It's going to happen on, on the sixth. We can even talk about why the Tristan Thompson deal is, is happening. Number one, you got Marvin Bagley who has a long history of injuries and you need a, starting level big to put down in the post, no matter what. And people go, well, Tristan Thompson's more of a five. It's like, but he's a six foot eight, five. He's more of a, a, just a big, you just throw him out there and he is what he is. Right. I don't want him guarding seven foot tall centers. Cause that's not going to work either. Um, but then the other thing with Thompson is the Kings got to draft night and the only big man they had on their roster Outside of Chimezi Metu and Damian Jones, which realistically you can't consider rotational players in the NBA. They just aren't to that point yet where you consider them that. Uh, the only player they had was Marvin Bagley. And so going into free agency, which we only had like a two-day window, right? After the draft and then into free agency, they needed to at least make sure they had one NBA big man in case they needed to trade Marvin or in case they struck out with Alex Len and Rashawn Holmes and at least you have a guy. And then look, we can figure it out later. We can balance it out later because he's a $9.7 million expiring contract. And he's a guy that, you know, has a lot of people around the league that are fans of his because he's played in big games. He's made it all the way to the finals. He's won championships or a championship. Um, so I think that there's like, a lot of people cringe when they see that because you cannot like him as a player, but you can like the idea of why they did it. And the fact that they can get out from underneath it almost at any time, because he's a movable contract. You can move him for another player. That's like him that plays a different position, just like the Kings did when they gave up the lawn, right. And what we knew coming in, coming out of the draft was that the Kings already had, like they had six guards and that's never going to work. So so it makes sense to me. I don't love it, but it makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally does. Um, yeah, I mean, Thompson, definitely ex-teammates or teammates at the time, always really talking highly of him. Um, you know, team last year that was criticized for being soft. Thompson definitely fits toughness, right? Um, mm -hmm. The question for me after that is, yeah, like, yeah, obviously the fit made a lot of sense at the time. Why go out and get Alex Len on top? Like this, you think, you think that, um, I guess you were kind of hinting at this. You think Thompson might place him at the four? Yeah, I think Thompson might play some of the four. And to be honest with you, I think that if the Kings would have done the right thing last offseason, uh, which, I, you know, I'm not going to throw somebody in under the bus, but whoever's idea it was to bring in Hassan Whiteside last year, 
that was the worst idea of all time. I mean, he was fun to have around and, you know, he made some funny videos and we now have the black Falcon and all that stuff. But as a player, he made zero, 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 zero sense, like negative sense. Like he was never going to work in Sacramento because all he can do is stand in the middle of the key, throw his gigantic seven foot seven wingspan up in the air and call for the ball. And that just happens to be the place where your point guard loves to run and and go up for layups. It it just like, he would not do anything else and he doesn't do anything else. He's a, he's a quality rebounder because he stands in the middle of the key and grabs rebounds and he's a good shot blocker in the right situation, but he wasn't even mobile. If the Kings would have had Alex Lynn on this roster last year, going into the season, like he was on and he was healthy, like he was at the end of the, uh, the previous season. Well, he wasn't healthy in the bubble because he got the COVID Um, but before that, like Alex was making, like he was impactful and I'm not going to tell you that Alex Lynn is a better player than Hassan Whiteside because Hassan Whiteside's made like a hundred and like $30 million in his life or $120 million in his career. Right. But what I am going to tell you is that for the Sacramento Kings, he's a better fit. And when I have a six foot 10 center who is a little light in the shorts, like Rashawn Holmes, and you have those nights where Jokic decides to go nuts or Valanchunas goes nuts or, you know, you're getting pushed around a little bit by Montrez Harrell or, uh, or Steven Adams. Now the Kings have the ability to throw like a mean dude out that gets in the way, which is what we saw at the end of the previous season. He he's mean, he can shoot a three, he can block shots. He does not expect to play 25 minutes a night you're fine playing 15 to 18 minutes a night. And, you know, again, we get back to Tristan Thompson, like Tristan Thompson doesn't miss games. Alex Lynn does miss games. So even if you're bringing in Tristan Thompson, I mean, even if you're bringing in Alex Lynn, you still need to have a guy like Damian Jones or a guy like Chimezi Metu or a guy like Tristan Thompson there, because you're not going to be able to pencil him in uh, for 82 games. So I love the Alex Lynn signing. He, again, the defense will be better this year uh, and, and it will be not just, Oh, wow. We, they're a little bit better. It will be marketably better when you consider all of the pieces that they've already added again, a Tristan Thompson, a, a Mo Harkless, a Davion Mitchell, uh, Terrence Davis, all of these players did not start last season with the Kings. So while we finished the season with them and you saw them and you're like, well, they're just coming back with the same lineup. Like, no, They're not coming back to the same roster. The roster they started last season with last year, I might be able to give you six players that you could know what you were getting from. And one of those is Tyrese Halliburton. And we had no idea what we were getting from, from him. Like just like all of the players on that team that were either first or second year, second round picks or undrafted um, that could not make any impact on the team. One reason or another, Jemias Woodard, uh, Daquan and, and Justin James add in, uh, you know, Whiteside, that's five guys add in Jabari Parker. That's six add in Nemanja Bialica. That's seven. I got eight. So now what about Corey Joseph? Um, you know, do I consider him? Yeah. Corey Joseph is going to be a rotational guy, no matter what, cause he's solid, but then, Oh wait, we have Marvin Bagley who played 13 games a year before. So I just got to, without even really digging in, I got to eight players. Luke Walton didn't have any depth at all. As soon as they started having one player miss one game, they went on a nine game losing streak. All it was, was, Oh, 
I think it was Bagley first and then Fox missed a game. And then you had Harrison Barnes miss like two games. And then Rashawn Holmes missed like three games and you're on an eight or nine game losing streak. This is not the same roster that they had last year. This is completely different. You know who these players are. You're bringing in. We're not bringing in a Marco Bellinelli and hoping that he'll fit with the system or even a Zebo and, and Vince and, you know, that season where they brought in that group of players, they re-signed players that already make sense for what they do. And most like a lot of them were brought in in the second half of the season. So I I'd look at it as a, like, if you look at the second half of the season, Kings actually weren't that bad defensively. Uh, it was because of some of these players that they brought in. Yeah, definitely should be improvement there. There is a lot of room for improvement also. Um, yeah, that yeah, there is a lot there, right? <laughs> yeah, just, just a little bit. <laughs> um, talking about some of these guys towards the end of the roster and, um, you know, the non-guaranteeds of James, Metu, uh, Jones, do you, do you think that, like, which, which one of those guys do you feel like is on the roster going into next year? Yeah, I just did the math, and I'm, I'm at 14 players without knowing what they're going to do with uh, Keita. Um, and with Justin James, not being part of the roster, I, I like, I like Justin James. He's a really, really good kid. Um, tons of energy, super, super happy guy. Good locker room guy. Uh, his personality is a big reason why they chose to waive, uh, Daquan and not him during the season, just because they knew it would be impactful in the locker room, having his personality gone. And Daquan is a dude who says like eight words total the whole season. Um, he's, he's a good dude, but he's just super quiet. Anyway, like I, I, looking at the roster, I think as of right now, I think Damian and, uh, and Chemezi both are on the roster. And I think Justin James is not. And then I think the Kings will try to do Kata on a two way, but maybe not, maybe they'll give him a deal. Um, but, you know, again, they have they have guys at the end of the bench that they can, you know, like if Jemias can't figure things out, if you need to waive Jemias, you're looking at like $1.5 million that you you just bite, but you can open up a roster spot type deal. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those guys of, of that small group you're talking about, um, the only one I don't think will be around is Justin. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and the last thing I, last little topic I got for you here, James, I guess not little, um, Kings are still working with the MLE. Um, they, you know, there's a couple different names that I think people have thrown out there. Um, Kelly Oubre, I liked Otto Porter before he went to Golden State. Um, I think Winslow's kind of interesting. Um, but you pointed out to me also before we press record here that if the Kings are more patient here, that they actually, um, with a lot of the contracts coming off the books, after this next season or options that they have could potentially create max space next off season. Um, do you think mm-hmm. that that's something that they are, are trying to do or something that they have in their sites? Well, like, look at this point, I, I have them I like doing quick math um, earlier today. I have them at 119.2 million coming into the season right now. And that's without knowing what's going to happen with Kata and uh, without Justin James. Um, so 19.2, the luxury tax is at 136.6 million. So that leaves you 17.4 million under the luxury tax right now. So that's really good for me because that means that the Kings can go out and extend the mid-level exception to, uh, which is what, like 9.5 or 9.6 or 9.7 million this year, um, to go get another 
like realistic player, a player that actually can help you. I mean, I, I like Otto Porter, but Otto Porter, like I, I talked to a couple of people and they're like, man, he could not move at all last season. Like when he came back, like it was, it was not fun to watch. He, he has like, so blocking the hips and just like the injuries have ravaged him. So I wasn't super high on, I, I like Otto, but like in this situation, maybe not, but can you take a flyer on a, on an Ubre? Um, and you know, you have ties, uh, Kelly Oubre played AAU ball with uh, De'Aaron Fox. They've known each other for years. Uh, And that team was, it was Justin James. I mean, Justin Jackson, uh, De'Aaron Fox, Kelly Oubre, and Justice Winslow. So there's also a tie with Justice Winslow. Now, Justice Winslow, I mean, he's like, he's super young still, but you just don't know who he is, what he is. It's almost like taking on Marvin Bagley. Um, except for, I think like you're even more leery of Winslow, uh, because Winslow has been hurt so much in his career. I'm not giving him an MLE, but I, I certainly would look at a mid-level, I mean, uh, like a lower, like an entry-level contract and saying, Hey, look, uh, make good, like, come on in, we'll get you a better minimum. The Kings don't have to spend the MLE. They can spend the MLE, uh, and, and bring in a legitimate rotational player. They can wait and see if they make a big deal, and then they can still use the MLE, especially if you're trading, let's say, Simmons at $33 million and you're giving up Buddy and Bagley, and that's $34 million, I think that roughly $34 million bucks in contracts. So their, their salaries cross-cancel each other. You're, you've already capped out on your, ta- on, on your cap space. You've tapped out. You, you can't do anything else like under a normal situation, but you do have the exception, so you can sign. But then what you're talking about, um, let's, we can also rewind and say, look, if you don't do anything and you walk in the season with this team, and then you walk in the next summer with this specific team, Bagley at 11.3 million, Tristan Thompson at 9.7, we're already at 21 million bucks. Uh, you got 2 million to Matthew, 2 million to Damian Jones. So now we're at 25 million bucks, Ramsey and Woodard. Uh, now we go from 25 to 28 million bucks. They can shed that much contract. The salary cap is going up to 119 million bucks. People will go, well, De'Aaron Fox is getting a big raise. And it's like, well, okay. Davion Mitchell, uh, Halliburton, um, you know, Rashawn Holmes and uh, De'Aaron Fox all have their contracts going up at the same time. Uh, Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes have declining scale contracts that drop by 2 million each. You almost wipe out all of the raises from those guys just in that deal right there. So all of a sudden you're looking at this team and going, huh, you can walk into next summer with Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Halliburton, uh, Alex Len, Mitchell, Mo Harkless, all under contract, seven guys, draft picks, and then an ability to add a huge piece. So all of that to me is good. Um, you know, I, I just think it, it, the Kings have a ton of options and we keep hearing this. And, and again, it doesn't even matter if they add a Ben Simmons, if they add a, you know, a Pascal Siakam, they're basically still in the same salary cap situation going into next season. 
And that's a really good thing. They're, they're going to cut way back again. Salary cap is set to jump over 7 million bucks. Uh, that means the luxury tax is going up to like 145 million. This team could really do more damage, uh, especially if they win games and, and they make a big move to win games. And all of a sudden you become a team that people want to go visit because you're on the rise and you got young stars, you know, Fox and, Halliburton and Davion, but also potentially a, a guy like Simmons and, and you have Rashawn locked up, you know, that's a really good position to be in if you're the Kings. Yeah, extremely good. And uh, I think the, what you pointed out at the end there, you know, everyone's going to say, Oh, nobody's going to come sign in Sacramento. And I think exactly what you said, you know, if you're exciting and upcoming, I mean, there was what the, the Jaeger year, like the team was, was really exciting. And I think a lot of people were looking, looking forward to the future of that team. Um, and I think that can be appealing to one of these big guys. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting situation to keep tabs on there. Um, mm-hmm. That is all I have for you, James. I can't say thanks enough for coming on, man. Um, love all the work you do, obviously. Clearly super hardworking. And thanks a bunch, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sorry if I talk too much. And I'm going to correct myself really quickly for you, Jet. Uh, I did all my math and I left uh, Rashawn Holmes off of my salary cap. So the Kings might be closer to 130 million this year, but again, the, the, it's going to, they'll have tons and tons and tons of cap space next year. So it's whether they want to push up closer to the luxury tax this off season, um, in signing a player, which, you know, they're going to have to make their decision on that, but yeah, but thanks for having me. And, uh, I'll, I'll just, sorry for the clarification. You are all good. You talking a lot makes it a very easy podcast for me. So (laughs) definitely no need to apologize there, James. Um, I do talk a lot. (laughs) I do too, obviously. I'm over here with my own podcast. So Um, yeah, at James Ham, NBCS on Twitter, in case for some reason in hell not already following James, what are you doing? Um, And obviously all the work going on at the Kings Herald, definitely check that out. Take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.